Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is, uh, is my good friend Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, it's another slow week of NHL news, so I'm just taking it easy, relaxing a little. Yes, there's absolutely nothing else going on. I don't, I don't know what we could possibly talk about on this show. I mean, we're kind of scratch, scratching the bottom of the barrel for possibilities. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just glad you hadn't put it in the hiatus. I figured we, we might be in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're really revving up here. I mean, we got the two pretty big trades yesterday, which, I mean, the NHL GMs just showed they had no regard for my, for my Oscars party or for my dinner plans because, uh, <laughs> the entire time I was just on my phone and, and everyone just kept asking me to get off. But, uh, listen, that's the, uh, this is, the, this is the life we picked and, I'm, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. So it's uh it's 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 a crazy time. I think the next 48 hours or so are going to be pretty hectic. But who knows? I mean, people were saying that they weren't expecting many fireworks, and we've already seen two or three pretty notable trades. So maybe it could be a sign of things to come, or maybe it could just be one of those things where we'll be sitting on on Wednesday morning, just kind of wondering where everything is, and it all just already happened. Well, somebody will trade a minor leaguer to to just give the insider something to talk about. We'll have a, a Jeremy Moran for Stefan Fournier kind of trade. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. And there'll be like, everyone will be writing a different blog post about it and trying to come up with some with some creative angles to discuss it. It'll be, it'll be a good time. Um, so the plan was initially to use this show as an opportunity to come up with at least a handful of you know, logical, distinctly possible trades, but also ones that might be a bit outside the box and would be fun to see. And we'll get to that eventually. But I think before we do that, let's take a few minutes here to unpack the the moves that have already happened. And I think a good place to start is the one that happened on, I, I believe, Friday afternoon, where um, Patrick Eves went to Anaheim for a conditional second rounder, which... I guess you could call it a conditional first rounder. I mean, if 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 the Ducks make the conference finals and he plays fifty percent of the games, it becomes a first. So it's you know, it's I guess it's kind of semantic. So you could go either way with it. Yeah, it's uh, those conditional picks really throw you for a loop. I I was doing a piece not that long ago where I was trying to figure out uh, draft pick value, and every time I saw a conditional pick, I'd be pulling my hair out to, to figure out what was going on, but. I mean, calling it a conditional second, I guess, makes a little more sense just because, you know, if, if you go to the conference finals, um, you don't really care that it's a first round pick so much. Right. Yes. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, here's the thing. OK, let's start from the stars perspective, because 
I think some perspective here is important because, uh, you know, even though I figured Eves could have conceivably fetched more just based on the way people were talking about him for the past week or two leading up to this move, I think if you told me at the start of the year that he'd be flipped for a potential first-round pick just months later, I'd, I'd have told you you're a crazy person just based on his entire track record and even what he did last year, for example. But, I mean, obviously the season hasn't gone the way anyone in Dallas would have hoped, so now they kind of need to just recalibrate their goals and expectations to trying to recoup as many assets as they can for all these expiring contracts they have. Yeah, and, and Dallas has had a ton of injuries this year. Um, it, it's been a difficult season in a lot of ways. I, I think some of those injuries, particularly in the case of Al Shamsky, may get in the, the way of recouping assets at the trade deadline here. Mm-hmm. Um, Eve's value, I think, lies... I mean, he's had a very good season, don't get me wrong, but I, I think a lot of his value lies in the fact that he's just so dirt cheap. I was a little surprised to see him go to Anaheim, honestly, because I figured that a team like Chicago, which is you know scrounging for every penny, would have uh, moved heaven and earth to to get a guy who can play for you know a million dollar cap hit on their roster. But uh, I think that's what made him more tr- more intriguing than somebody even like Patrick Sharp, who you know even though he's had a worse season based on past history, we would we would guess would be about the same value. Yeah, that's a good point because you know so often around this time the the idea of salary retention and how how that's going to work and what the team that's trading away the player will wind up paying for the remainder of his contract is like is generally a sticking point or kind of a hurdle you have to clear. So with Eves, where he has this measly one million dollar cap hit, like that's that's a pretty desirable commodity in today's NHL. But I think he's an interesting player just because like from that from the Ducks' perspective, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, if you look at their roster up front. There's not really much beyond their top guys. I mean, they basically have Getzlaff, Perry, Kessler, the usual guys, and Raquel has really burst onto the scene as, as a legitimate star this year. But beyond that, it's a lot of guys that are somewhere between like bottom six guys and maybe even like like four A players. Like it's guys that you definitely shouldn't be playing such big roles as they are. But the Ducks are just so thin up front because of the, some of the moves they made this summer that they. You know, a guy like Eves all of a sudden becomes like possibly their like their fifth or sixth best forward. So I mean, that's a a pretty huge move for a team that has a legitimate shot in this postseason. Yeah, Anaheim uh, had a weird summer. I remember that they were rumored to be in on the the Milan Lucic uh, free agency look, and it made sense because they're so weak at left wing. But they uh, they didn't really address it over the over the course of the year. They didn't address it really when they should have done in. Uh, late July, early August, when there were there were a couple of you know like bargain options available that that could you could probably shoehorn in there somewhere. There, I, I don't know if there's another team, uh, certainly not out west, that has that dichotomy w- between the you know the high end top forwards and then the bottom six and and just a chasm in terms of uh, quality drop-off between them. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that is just their own doing, right? Like, their big moves this summer to, to, to shore up that, that forward talent was bringing in guys like Jared Bull and Mason Raymond, and those two both horribly backfired, and now they're kind of stuck trying to patch it up. So, I mean, Eves will help a lot. But he was like, when I was preparing for this trade deadline, he was the one guy that was a bit of a red flag for me because, I mean, obviously whenever a guy is 32 years old and has a career year, you're, you're, you're right to be skeptical. But I mean, if you look even a little bit deeper, like 
a lot of his production this year is just based on the fact that he's been getting a ton of time on that on that Dallas power play unit on the top one with guys like Jamie Benn and and uh, John Klingberg. So I mean, he has like eleven power play goals this year, and I think he had twelve combined over the past five seasons or something like that. So it's like it's it's coming at a pretty good time for him because he could parlay this into a nice little uh, two or three year contract this summer. But it it made made sense for the for the stars to be see the, see a type of a type of guy like that and think to themselves well you know he has 21 goals this year but he's probably not like an integral part of our future anyway so why not just get something that we can for him yeah ab- absolutely i i 100 agree with that and maybe that's one of the reasons that anaheim felt uh felt comfortable going with him just because the ducks do have not the same dynamic as in dallas but but they have a similar one where where he can be a, you know a complimentary guy to um much more talented players mm-hmm. uh but I, I do think you're right that he's a, he's a little bit overrated this year, just because so much of his production's on the man advantage, and uh, you know that that's useful in in that role, but it becomes less useful in the postseason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's let's talk about the Ben Bishop trade. Um, I think it wound up being Bishop and a fifth to to the Kings, and then the, the Lightning got Peter Budai back in a seventh, and and Eric Chernak, who was their real. Uh, return and i had some good fun with this trade yesterday what, what, were, what were your thoughts when you saw this break on the uh, on the old twitter machine well like everybody else i was a little confused that la decided their their most pressing need was a goaltender um i i i, I don't the, the rationale there's interesting just because you've had peter budai in net all year and and you know games in october and november count every bit as much in the standings yes. as games in march so i i don't understand why you know, I, I get that Jonathan Quick, you're worried about his health. You want somebody. Um, you've got a bunch of back-to-back games coming up. But you've spent all year running Peter Budai. He's done pretty well for you. And suddenly he's not good enough. Um, mm-hmm. So that that threw me. Yeah. But but in terms of valuation, it was about right. Uh, goalies typically don't have a ton of value at the deadline. The only exception I can think of recently was uh, St. Louis just losing their mind over Ryan Miller, yes. and that and that went that went very badly for the Blues. So yep. maybe maybe the league has has learned from that. Uh, so I, I thought the valuation was actually about right. Goalies just don't command that much. Cernak's a decent prospect, but the the Kings thinking on this um, surprise the timing of it just just baffles me. Yeah. I mean, you look in uh, five on five, for example, they're, they're sixth in goals against per hour and, and they're 26th in goals for per hour. So it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, the goaltending has been fine this year. Peter Boudet did an admirable job. I mean, if you want to make the argument that you're skeptical that he'll be able to keep up this performance for moving forward, like that's that, I think that's fine because I think that he's wildly exceeded everyone's expectations so far. So that seems like a, a reasonable point you could make. But I mean, I don't know. It's just like if you look at this team, basically, if Jeff Carter hasn't been scoring, and, and fortunately for them, he has been scoring a lot. But basically, without him, I mean, there's just there's no one else really generating any offense. It feels like I've seen Nanze Kopitar hit like 30 posts this year, and I don't know, maybe someone's someone's keeping track of that at home. And and but it's like if you just looked at their needs, yeah. it would have made much more sense for them to try and bring in a guy who could help score. And and they still might, although they're they're pretty tight up against the cap. But it's like. There's so many of these interesting uh, wing options available for cheap. I mean, we just talked about a guy like Patrick Eves, and it, it would have made much more sense for them to prioritize a guy like that. And I, I just think right. that the, it's the lateral nature of this move seems very curious to me. Yeah, it. Um, 
No, I, I agree entirely with that. I, I don't know. I don't know what to add to it. I, <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of decent offensive players out there. Um, at, the, at the trade deadline, you can usually get wingers for a, a reasonable rate, and mm-hmm. and there are a few options. And um, I, I'm not sure why that wasn't more of a priority for the Kings. Well, you you made a good point with the back to backs, and I think that they have what like four of them left and a pretty busy March schedule, and they're only a few points back. I mean, they're six points back of the Flames with, with two games in hand. They're only three points behind the Blues for that final wild card spot. So every single point here is going to matter, and it makes sense that with all these back-to-backs coming up, you'd want to optimize in your chances of winning each of those games, and I think having Quick and Bishop in those will certainly help. So I think it's an interesting uh, strategy and, and kind of works to the point I've been making all year about how each team should have two very reliable goalies and you have no excuse not to, but it's like, I just, I I don't know. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I I think that the other interesting point that I saw someone bring up and and certainly might have some validity is what if they were using this as something of a blocking mechanism to stop one of their closest competitors from getting a Bishop? Like, let's say a guy, a team like the Calgary Flames, who has been linked to him in the past and I know had a uh, sort of a, a agreement in place with the Lightning at the draft last year before ultimately shifting their sights to Elliott because the, the demands for Bishop were too strong and they realized they probably couldn't sign him in the summer. So if they maybe got, if maybe they were a bit concerned that a team like the Flames would go after Bishop, so they just said, well, let's just prevent that from happening and bolster our team at the same time. Like, I think that's probably as good of an argument as you're going to find. It's, it's certainly an interesting argument. Um, if, if that was the case, uh, because, it, I mean, maybe it was. And if you're Steve Eiserman, obviously you, you probably want to play up the fact that Calgary's a, a team that could conceivably be in the goalie market. But um, Eiserman this morning in his press availability said that uh, basically LA was his only option for Bishop. If, if a trade didn't work with the Kings, there wasn't going to be a trade at all. So if that was driving Los Angeles, um, it was it was bad intel. Yeah, Steve Eiserman is a bad, bad man. Don't get don't don't don't, <laughs> don't get into a game of chicken with that guy. I've been warning people for for years now, and and, and the other GMs keep trying to do it, and it just keeps and other players in, in the contract negotiations, it just never works out for them. And I don't know. I mean, for for the Lightning, we haven't really discussed their perspective on this, but I mean, it's a bit of a no brainer. You mentioned yeah. that. They didn't really have uh, other suitors. And I mean, they just didn't really have a leg to stand on because it's pretty clear that, you know, Bishop was going to walk this summer just based on how much he's going to ask for as a free agent and the fact that they have Andrew Vasilevsky and that who's clearly their guy. And it didn't help them that Bishop has been performing at a suboptimal level this year. I mean, he's below league average at 9-11 for the year and he had another injury and it seems like that's becoming a bit of a trend with him. So you know, I'm sure if he had had the type of season he had last year, they would have maybe had more intrigue from other teams. But all of these factors coming together just made for a perfect storm of them not really being being able to get anything. So the fact that they were actually able to recoup a, a pretty interesting defense prospect who was a high second round pick just two years ago and and is considered like I'm not a prospect guru by any means, but I know that people liked him quite a bit at the time of the draft. So I think for the lightning, this is a kind of a, a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a home run, but I'd say like a, a solid double. Yeah. And uh, the timing of it, getting some money off the books so that they uh, potentially don't have some cap overage issues next year. Um, and the fact they were able to get Budai back, like they're still going to have two goalies that they can play um, given how Budai has played this year. So I, I don't, uh, I think it's just a very logical trade from from a Tampa Bay perspective. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to the uh, the final trade that we saw <laughs> yesterday. Uh, Marty Hansel uh, went to the Minnesota Wild for a first this year, a second next year, and a potential second round pick in 2019. If 
if the Wild win two rounds and 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 Hansel plays in fifty percent of those games, I think. Um, Let's let's get the Coyotes' perspective out of the way here quickly because I think that you know there's the saying everyone's available for the right price, but I think if we adjust that to everyone's available for the price that the Wild paid for Marty Hansel, I think it also applies. It, it seemed like a a bit of a no brainer for the Coyotes here. Whenever you can basically just recoup three very useful assets for a guy that. Uh, doesn't have any term left on his deal and you're not going anywhere as a franchise anytime soon is a no-brainer. And I think that, you know, spinning it forward, let's say they really like Marty Hansel for whatever reason. He's played there his entire career. They're familiar with him. They can let him try and win a cup here, have a long playoff run and get that out of the way, have these three assets and then potentially bring him, explore bringing him back this summer kind of like they did with Antoine Vermette a few years ago. Or uh, not quite the same scenario, but Rodim Verbata this past summer. Yes, yep. Yeah, they, they don't seem to have a problem revisiting players. And, you know, it says something about the franchise that players don't seem to have a problem coming back to it either. Um, I, I actually thought the valuation, I, I know Twitter just lost its mind over it, but I didn't think the valuation was that crazy. Like, obviously, you know, John Chayka, the GM in Arizona, deserves some credit for, for maximizing the return. But you look at what the Coyotes got for Antoine Vermette. You look at what David Leguan got as a rental. You look at what um, any of, well, Paul Gostad went for a first-round pick a few yes. years ago. Like, yep. there is always this insane premium on centers, and especially centers who you can trust against quality opponents at the trade deadline. There just are not that many available. Like, if you're shopping for a center now, who do you grab? Is Brian Boyle? Uh, maybe David Darnay? Like, there's there's not a lot on the market unless you get into the Matt Duchesne thing, which is a whole other you know kettle of fish and and, and not a rental issue at all. Um, and and the other thing is with the trade, like that conditional pick. If if they'd swap that conditional pick for you know Ryan White in a fourth rounder straight across, it, it'd be a bit of an odd trade, but it wouldn't be like like totally out to lunch. Mm-hmm. So it kind of comes down to Marty Hansel for a first and a second round pick to me. And and when you look at Antoine Vermette going for a first round pick and and Klaus Dahlbeck, granted Dahlbeck's not worth the same as a as a second round pick, but then Hansel's a better player than Vermette anyway. So I think Arizona got good value back, but I don't think it was you know just insane given what centers always go for. Yeah, and I, and I think with with trades like this, uh, there's this common reaction online to you know you see the steep price and everyone just latches onto that and it kind of obscures the fact that the player going the other way is very useful and will certainly help the other team and uh, from from minnesota's perspective like it makes sense they're having a, a incredibly successful season they're the west is wide open um I, I still think i like the sharks better but i mean it's you could make a very logical argument that minnesota might be the best team in the western conference and this is a good chance for them to, to go for it and try and make some noise which is something this franchise hasn't done much during is its, its short existence and it's like it i i get it completely like it's they also have a, a deep farm system they have a lot of good prospects they've drafted well the past few years so like it's a steep price and it makes sense for arizona but i don't think it's necessarily like a disaster for minnesota either i i, I do i i'm in disagreement with you in that i do think it's a bit steep and i i get that the what the market dictates but that doesn't necessarily mean you should be willing to pay that price anyways just because other people are but listen it it, it it makes sense for minnesota i mean they're gonna there's no argument that they're a better team today than they were yesterday and and i think that's ultimately all that matters for them right now yeah i i um it, my, my favorite example of sort of the i i agree with you that sometimes you don't want to go with the market rate my, my favorite examples uh from 2013-14 and at the trade deadline alish hemsky commanded a third round pick and a fifth round pick 
At the same time, Marcel Gauck commanded a third round pick and a fifth round pick. It was an identical identical acquisition costs. And, and to me, there's no question that Alish Hemsky, even though he's a right wing, makes your team a whole lot better than Marcel Gauck yes. does. Um, but like when, when you look at Minnesota's situation in their shoes, at first I looked at the deal and I thought, you know, I don't think the valuation's nuts, but I wouldn't have done it. But the more I look at Minnesota's roster, um, the more it, it just makes sense to me. Your point about the West being wide open, Minnesota being very good is, is 100% correct. But then you look at their their key players like Zach Parise, Miko Koivu, Ryan Suter. These are all guys in their early 30s. Like if Minnesota can't go for it this year, I don't know that they can with this core. Like this is and even got somebody like Devin Dubnik is 30 years old. Um, and and that's to say nothing of you know your Eric Stahl or, or or some of the other guys on this roster. It's they do have some good young players, but the, a lot of the key positions are being held by guys who skew quite a bit older and who are under contract for a long time. So um, when you when you signed Suter and Parise a few years back and, and their contracts go on forever, they're going to eventually drag this franchise down, right? Like mm-hmm. when they're 36, 37, 38, and still taking up $15 million in cap space, it's going to be very difficult for you to win. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to win now. It gets harder next year. It gets harder the year after that. Um, this this is definitely a go for it year for Minnesota. Yep, yeah, I agree with that. It's tough to argue. Um, okay, let's let's pivot here and let's go through some fun potential trades that haven't happened yet. We've already covered the ones that have. Um, I'll start. I'll start with an easy one, and I'm starting with this one mostly instead of you know it, it, it would make sense that I'd be a courteous host and give my guest the opportunity to talk first, but I got to get this one out of the way before you possibly <laughs> steal it from me. So uh, I'm going to go with PA Parento to the Flames and. The reason, I mean, you could say P.A. Parento to pretty much like eight or nine teams. Pretty much every competitor could use P.A. Parento at this point. But I think that from the Flames' perspective, they fascinate me because a few weeks ago, we saw all these hot takes about what's wrong with Johnny Johnny Goodrow. Like, is he slowing down? Has the league figured him out? Well, what's going on with him? Like, did the Flames make a mistake for paying so much for him? And it's like, listen, he was playing with guys that were below his level and not that you know Michael Furland is a guy that is a great player but he can at least keep up with the pace uh, Johnny plays at and having a guy like that in his right wing I mean we've seen the past few games all these chances and all these goals have started to come and all of a sudden no one's really worrying about what's going on with Goodrow anymore and I think that if the Flames are smart they look at this and they go okay well Parento has definitely has the skill and he's shown the ability in the past to step right in and kind of mesh perfectly with great players and, and contribute and he'll be cheap. And I think that even, even more than that, he's the type of player the Flames should be looking at just because yes, he's a rental, but he's also, this is a bit of an audition period for them where they can take him for a test ride, see if they like him, see if they want to bring him in back, back this summer. And, you know, they have the space and flexibility on their roster to do so. So I think those are the types of moves that they should be looking at now that help them in the present, but potentially could also be solutions for next year and the years ahead as well. See, now I did have a Calgary trade. I did have it for a right wing. And I did have it for a guy who could work with uh, Johnny Gaudreau, but the player I had in mind was not P.A. Parento. It was Yuri Hoodler. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man, that's... Uh, but, but it, like, it's, it's in the same range, but, but for me, the thing that put Hoodler over the top is um, he's, he's, you know, he spent two years there yeah. like, on that line, basically. And it, they were pretty effective. 
he's not going to cost very much. Uh, the cap hits a little higher than Parento's, but the asset cost should be in the same range because Hoodler's had such a tough year. Like it's a bit more of a gamble, but uh, I, I just I think that because of that familiarity, maybe he's the guy that if I'm Calgary, I'd be looking at. Yeah, and then think about all the uh, all the reuniting with an old flame headlines that we could run with as well. I feel like that'd be a <laughs> well. I always try and keep half an eye out for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I, I had an interesting guy here that I think if the Flames could somehow get a guy like Yannick Hansen, that would be ideal. I mean, obviously yes. he's going to be more expensive and there's the whole interdivision factor where I think the Canucks might be wary of trading him to a guy that they have such history with. But if it's, if that deal is possible, I think that, you know, we, we heard a lot of rumblings this weekend about how teams are interested in Yannick Hansen, but because of the expansion draft and the fact that they're going to have such a numbers crunch with guys they, they can protect, they don't want Hansen because he still has another year in his deal. But the Flames are one of the few teams that is in, in kind of that unique, has that unique buying opportunity where they don't have enough forwards that they necessarily need to keep. And I think that they could very conceivably trade for Hansen and be very comfortable keeping him in the, protecting him from the expansion draft and bringing him back next year and reuniting that same role. And he's a fantastic player and would be just a massive upgrade over everything, uh, Monaghan and Goodrow have played with so far. So if the Canucks were willing to trade within division and the price wasn't too steep, I think that's the, that's the first call I'd be making. I, I've always been a big fan of Yannick Hansen. I, I love players that, um, you can kind of slot anywhere from the complimentary first-line role to a, a designated third-line, um, peer-checking-line role, um, and and will do well pretty much wherever they're put. And and Calgary is in that situation. Edmonton's another team in that situation where they, they could use a right wing, uh, a quality NHL right wing, and um, have some, some room to play with in terms of expansion. So I, I think, I think if, basically, I think if you have enough forwards... If you don't have seven guys who you're really worried about protecting, mm-hmm. Yannick Hansen makes sense to you. I don't care who you are. Like he's just a, he's a very good player. He's very reasonably priced, and he'll help you now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's always been one of these guys that you know his counting stats might not necessarily blow you out of the water, but most of his production comes at five on five. And if you just rate it by how often he's playing, he's he's like a surprisingly elite guy. I think that the past two years he's like tied with with Evgeny Malkin at at, at five on five points per hour. Not not that they're the same caliber of player, but it just kind of shows you how productive he's been in the opportunities he's been given. So I think he's a no brainer. Um, okay, give me a give me a hypothetical trade that you'd like to see. Okay, um, I think that Brian Boyle, um, as the top center on the market, makes a world of sense for San Jose. Mm. Um, San Jose doesn't have, like, I I know San Jose has the thing where they run Pavelski and Thornton, and uh, and Joel Ward takes a lot of face-offs, but but when I look at their roster, it looks to me like they're one good player away from having a, a really vicious line one through four combination and just having the depth to go head to head with anybody. I look at the Pacific. I don't see anybody who can match them um, in a head to head series with Minnesota. I think I slightly prefer San Jose yep. and I'd prefer them a bit more if they had a little more depth at center. Brian Boyle's not the, you know, like an absolute slam dunk perfect fit, but I, I don't see a guy on the market who's uh, a better fit for that position. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be like, you could basically just copy paste this response to pretty much every single trade proposal, but it's like 
for the right price, I'd be very interested. <laughs> it's like, if it, obviously, you know, if, if the prices are exorbitant for a guy like Brian Boyle, just because he's a big center, as we mentioned with, with Marty Hansel, then I'd be wary of that. But because I'm not sure how much he moves the needle for you. But if you can get him for like a depth pick or something like that, I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer. And if it doesn't work out, whatever, you just let him walk the summer and you just, you just kind of move on. It's not, you're not overly committed to it financially or anything. So I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, in San Jose, it's they're in they're they're like like we discussed with Minnesota, the age of their core players. With San Jose, it's you know so much more so. They they're just they're very close to the end of their window, and uh, you kind of have to hang the expense a little bit sometimes. I think. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, my trade number two is uh, really going to get this party started. Um, I think that I'd like to see Justin Falk to the Oilers. <sighs> And I, here's my reasoning. Uh, everyone's infatuated with Shattenkirk and understandably so. I think, you know, he's a superior player and he would definitely, uh, he's, Shattenkirk is exactly what the, what the Oilers need at this point, but I'm kind of wary of what the price is for him. And after the story that came out about how there was a deal with Hall for Shattenkirk on the table and then Shattenkirk didn't want to sign with the Oilers and didn't really want to play there. So that's why that deal got nixed. Like, I'd understand if that's something that wasn't revisited, but you look at Falk and I think they're in an interesting buying opportunity here because he's a pretty kind of serviceable alternative to Shattenkirk. I mean, he's good with the puck. He's a massive weapon on the power play with a shot from the point. And those are things that, as we mentioned the last time you and I chatted, when we kind of did a deep dive on the Oilers, those are two things they really need from their blue line right now. And I think that, you know, a, a year ago, even at this time, it would have seemed like a crazy idea that he'd even be available because young defensemen who are productive and are under contract like he is i think three years for another 4.8 per or so aren't ever really available but with the emergence of guys like jacob slavin and 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 brett pesci and they have noah hannafin there on the way up and they have some other intriguing guys and and they're also kind of facing this number crunch where there's only so many guys they can protect and they don't really want to lose any of these guys for nothing so i think if they could potentially spin one of these guys into something and i think that you know justin falk seems like he'd have a lot of trade value and he fits with the oilers needs so why not uh why not explore that the one thing i'd point out about carolina's position um relative to expansion is that i don't think they're actually uh, i'd have to go back and look but i don't think they're in a position where they have to do anything because so many of their defensemen are going to be exempt like they've got a ton of guys who have you know two years of experience entering expansion and um going to be eligible for selection mm, that's a good point. but there there were some rumors there were um well persistent rumors actually in edmonton last year that a, a justin falk for ryan nugent hopkins trade was at least discussed at some level and you know it made a lot of sense for carolina it made a lot of sense for edmonton because of the dynamic that you've just suggested uh, the problem now is i i think um i in trading if you were to trade for justin falk nugent hopkins has not had a good year yeah and even ignoring that, I, I don't know that the Oilers have the forward depth. Like you subtract for Taylor Hall from that forward core, and you know it's it's the Connor McDavid show. Like well, well like we talked about last time, we yes. were talking about the Oilers. Um, I, I think I'd probably still do it from an Edmonton position if it was a, a Nugent Hopkins for Falk sort of deal, just because that would set your defense up long term in, in great shape. But um, it, it's much trickier now. Well, what do you think about? something built around Jordan Eberle instead. Well, I, I think you do that in a heartbeat, but mm-hmm. I, like, I, I, 
I, I don't get the incentive for Carolina. Like I like Eberle a lot, but you know, like when Carolina can go out and get a Lee Stempniak who, you know, he's not Eberle, right. but he, he does a lot of things. Well, he's a lot cheaper. Um, I, I just, I don't know that the value is there for a winger. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just interested because I mean, I know that, you know, they've infused some skill into their lineup up front this year and they're not in, in shooting percentage hell as they were in, in the past years. So maybe the incentive to get a guy like Eberly is less, but like, I also look at their depth chart right now and they have guys like Philip Giuseppe playing on their second line right wing and they have Lee Stepniak playing with Table Teravinen and I'm a huge Lee Stepniak fan, but I think that, you know, providing some of these skilled young players they have with actual finishers and guys who can keep up with them on a offensive and creativity level would be an interesting thing to me and Eberly is what he has two more years at six million per and he's still only 26 years old like I I think that you know the, the thing with Eberly is everyone's getting on his case now but it's like he was a he was a 14% shooter for six full seasons and then all of a sudden now he's like hovering around eight to nine percent and it's like what's probably the real uh true talent level there like I'd, I'd be betting on Jordan Eberly bouncing back to you know even if it's not 14 at least like the m- more league average for forwards level around 12 like I, it, it seems like something that I don't know I, I I'm, I'm still buying Jordan Eberly even though he struggled this year is what I'm saying yeah I, I you're you're absolutely right about Eberle's shooting percentage um but my thing with Eberle is just that he's 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 a very good offensive producer, but he he is a somewhat one dimensional player. Mm-hmm. Like I I think when he's a you know like most years he's going to score twenty five goals and sixty five points, and that's got so much value that you can live with him being a little bit one dimensional. And if you're Carolina, which has a very decent two way team in a lot of different ways, and and particularly with that defense core, right. but is dying for offense, you can maybe live with that a little bit more than than, than other clubs might. Um, I I, uh, I just I, I don't um, when I look at the market I just I wonder a little bit if you can get a defenseman like Falk for a winger like Eberle that that's just what I keep coming back to like if if the price for like Justin Falk to me is is very comparable to, to Adam Larson in terms of trade value hmm. and Jordan Eberle is not comparable to me in terms of uh, Taylor Hall yeah yeah that's right I don't know I definitely think that Falk is worth more as an asset than Eberle I would I would say Eberle yeah. and, and some other assets. It would have to be like kind of like a little bit of a package, and I think that you know Carolina would be intrigued just because, as you mentioned, that one dimension that Jordan Eberle does provide is something that they could really use on that team, and uh, they haven't really had many guys like him. Like they have, they have Jeff Skinner, but just like very uh, offensively gifted forwards that could really move the needle for them in that regard. And they're also a team that has shown that they're very interested in stockpiling assets. And I feel like if if the Oilers kind of sweeten the pot with some picks or something like that, all of a sudden you could. Uh, you could get an interesting trade going. But anyways, I, I just thought it was sort of an interesting thing that could fit both teams' needs, not necessarily something that I think will happen, but just something I, I kind of wanted to flesh out with you. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's an ideal, like, Falk's a fantastic fit for Edmonton in so many ways, and particularly with Larson as their other right D, because then you can have two very specialized pairings, like like San Jose does with uh, with Brent Burns and, and Mark Edward Vlasic on separate pairs. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great fit there. I, I'm just a, a little bit more dubious about the fit for Carolina, but yeah, that's you fair. are right that they need offense. That's fair. Um, okay, what's your uh, what's your next trade? Um, well, I'm going to circle back to Minnesota, I think. I, I like what they've... Um, 
what they've done in adding Hansel, it, just in terms of what it does to their their winning their odds of winning right now. When I look at their defense, though, I see five guys that I like, and I I'm not I. To me, that looks like an area where you could add a sixth guy, yep. either a, a left shot D or a right shot D, depending on on whether you want uh, Dumba on the second pairing. Um, I, I assume that they probably would keep Dumba there and, and put Scandella on the third pair, in which case I kind of like the idea of Cody Franzen. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Cody Franzen for a lot of teams because if you can't get Kevin Shattenkirk, Cody Franzen is the, the right shot guy who can do some things for you. Yeah, I was going to say, not, not just for the wild, you just like the idea of Cody Franzen in general. <laughs> <laughs> not not for the Oilers, weirdly enough, yes. but for for a lot of different teams. I, I like Franzen for for Minnesota. I, I actually like Franzen for uh, for Columbus. And well, I, I don't want to tip my hand on the Rangers here because we're, I'm sure we're going to get to that. But Ooh, uh, yes. as a potential one for the Rangers too. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Franzen would definitely uh, fit the need for a lot of teams. And unlike some other guys, he would definitely probably come at a much cheaper price than he's actually worth, just because of. This weird, like there's there's these guys around the league like him, and you know, Pia Parento is another guy that we mentioned earlier. Where, for whatever reason, like their actual on ice production and what they bring to the table has never uh, matched up with the way people seem to talk about them in hockey circles. It's like it's not, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like just the the way they play. They're not necessarily the flashiest players or the most exciting, or like they don't have these immense physical skills that just pop off the page for you. And, and when, when you watch them, you just go, "Wow, that guy's a brilliant talent." But they're so productive that that's all that really matters. It's like how many how many goals are you bringing to the table to my team, and they they they're net positive is quite a bit so i, I just don't get it yeah I, I think with franz and it's it's easier just because he's a like when when somebody has like sort of a, a massive flag issue which for franz and is you know skating relative to for the nhl level he's obviously a much better skater than i am uh, but uh, when, when it's some, when you have a defenseman who looks slow at points it can just look so bad that um i, I think you'll lose a lot of the other things that he does well. Yeah. Especially when a guy like beats him out wide and then it becomes, yeah. it becomes a gift that everyone's passing around on Twitter. It's like, Oh, Cody Franzen sucks. And, and yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's get into the, let's get into the Rangers discussion because, um, I think that, you know, they they were next on my list for a potential trade and it's not Kevin Shattenkirk again. I actually cannot find, uh, a fit for Kevin Shattenkirk other than maybe the Leafs. Um, but it just like, it's you just don't so, like him for the Rangers. Well, I love him for the Rangers, but I just, from their perspective, I don't understand why they would give up a top prospect in a first rounder when he's going to sign there this summer. Like it just, yeah. I, I just don't think that Kevin Shattenkirk on this team makes them better than the Capitals or the Penguins. And that's, that's just tough for me to, to reconcile that fact that, they're giving up so much and it's ultimately not going to make that much of a difference for them. Like it'll definitely well, give them a better fighting chance against those teams, but I still, I'd still pick those other two teams in a series against them. Well, I, I just, I have to poke in there um, because you're right. I agree with you, but I think the thing that the rain works really well in the Rangers favor is they're probably going to play Montreal in the first round. <laughs> and it, when I look at the Atlantic division, you know, I, I've got a lot of time for Florida now that they're healthy. I've got a lot of time for Toronto but if the Rangers shift over to the Atlantic Division, they might be the favorite there. And if you can go, come up through the Atlantic Division, you only have to beat one of Pittsburgh, Washington, and Columbus. And you only have to beat them after they've gone through the other two, right? Yep. So that, that to me, is, is where it might make a bit of sense. Where if you've got um, 
I was listening to your podcast with uh, with Chris Johnston, and I think you mentioned you called it a puncher's chance. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that makes a lot more sense if you're in a situation where you only have to you only have to beat these teams once. If you've got to go through three rounds of of top level opponents, then a puncher's chance doesn't do you any good. But uh, but if you only have to survive one round against those guys, then it's a different story. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. I was going to say this for a future podcast or something, but we need we need to talk about the system. I mean, this is this is one of the, the, the <laughs> this is one of the dumbest subplots going on in the NHL right now, and people aren't talking nearly enough about it. I mean, I feel like I've mentioned it on we have like a Cal Ripken level streak of like 60 podcasts where I've mentioned it in a row now. But it's like you watch these Rangers games. I mean, they're playing the Blue Jackets yesterday, and every every Rangers people fan, are cheering when Columbus yeah, scores. Every Rangers fan that that you know is thinking about it at all is just cheering for Columbus to beat them. And it's like it, this is a joke. I mean, the, people make such a stink in this league about how there's a tanking problem, and it's like when teams aren't winning games, when the Sabers aren't trying to feel the competitive lineup. It's like oh, they're making a mockery of the league. It's like this is a much bigger mockery in my opinion where you have the Rangers who are a very good team just like you know I, the players themselves are obviously trying but it's like if you're Alain Vigneault if you're Jeff Gordon if you're just anyone in the Rangers organization you're looking at this and you're thinking okay what like how can we lose like the most games possible here without like just completely self-destructing and throwing everyone like off the deep end and and it's like yesterday's result was perfect where they just they lose to a team like Columbus they great Columbus, please take those two points. Like I was, I was joking the other day when they were down late to the Devils, and Adam Clendenning scored a goal to send it to overtime, and they eventually won it. And I was like, "Well, oh, man, Alain Vigneault has been looking for a reason all season to, to bench Adam Clendenning, and I think this is probably the the most egregious thing he's done all year." So it, it's 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 truly ridiculous. Like I. There's always going to be an element of gaming the system, but you'd mm-hmm. like it to not be so obvious. I, I just pulled up the stat sheet here, and I because I had to know what the number was. The top three teams in the Metropolitan have a combined goal differential of plus 167. The top three teams in the Atlantic have a combined goal differential of plus 22. The Rangers alone are plus 42. Like it, it it's so lopsided. And then you get the the East West thing where. There's 16 teams in the East, and there's only you know 14 in the West. And uh, like we, we've talked about Calgary and uh, trying to get into the playoffs this year. If you take Carolina or New Jersey or Philadelphia out of the East, teams that are absolutely not going to make it, and you play them in a Western Conference schedule all year, yeah, I, I think there's a decent chance any of those teams are ahead of Calgary right now. But yeah. it, 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 it is ridiculous. I understand why the league does it. I do think there's value in in meeting the same opponents in the playoffs, and it uh, it, it really does create a rivalry factor. But it's so bad in terms of fairness of competition, and it leads to this sort of stupidity. Yeah, I just i it's 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 one of the it's one of the dumbest things going right now, and it, it brings me great joy. Like I just hope I just hope the Rangers like shameless like just like shamelessly lose some of these games like without even just pretending like they want to win them. like it's like it's so funny to me i don't know i don't know like the more egregious it gets like maybe the more spotlight and the bigger stink people will be making about it and it'll lead to some changes down the road but i don't know it's uh so so you like shattenkirk to the ranger as as a fit at this deadline uh, i yeah i uh I, I get 
I, I think the, the argument that you've, the counter argument that you've made is the correct counter argument that they're going to have such a good chance in the summer to sign him anyway. It doesn't make sense to pay a fortune for him. Um, it really comes down to what the single playoff run is worth to them. And, uh, you, you know, you've made a really compelling point. Maybe, maybe the better play there is to go out and get a Cody Franz and somebody cheap who can bump Dan Girardi off the, Get, like somebody cheap who Ryan McDonough can play with so that yes. he, you know, doesn't go crazy um, and, and uh, just sign Shattenkirk in the summer. Maybe, maybe that is the better play because I, I, I've, uh, there's, I often think of the Rangers as being an old team, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. They've got so many good young forwards that they aren't in the same situation as a Minnesota or San Jose. Um, even, even with Henrik Lundqvist being, you know, towards the end of his career. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we mentioned Cody Franzen's lack of foot speed and why that might turn teams off. But I think from the Rangers perspective, they need a, from what they need from their blue liner more than anything is a guy that can quickly get the puck to their forwards with speed, right? And I think that Franzen's ability to move the puck and handle it, uh, will be much more useful to this team than any sort of, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily need him to carry the puck a lot or, 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 or do anything electrifying with his foot speed. Like it's, it's, it's about the movement of the puck more than anything else with this team. And I think that's why it's a logical fit. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So I, I, I think Brendan Smith is an interesting name we need to talk about because mm. I think for years he's been Detroit's second best defenseman. I mean, behind Mike Green now, I just don't really see anyone else that you could even make that argument for. I mean, Nicholas Jensen has shown some flashes here, but we don't really, we don't have enough of a sample to know exactly what he is as a player. And it's like, I think that it's bizarre to me. It makes sense that, you know, Brendan Smith isn't very young anymore. I mean, just in terms of like, we, we think of it, we keep thinking of him as this guy with endless potential. Like when he came, when he burst onto the scene coming from the college level, it's like he hasn't really reached that that ability yet and i don't i don't think he will because he's been around for so long and he's getting up there in hockey years that he's this is probably who he is but i think that this is who he is is a perfectly valuable like second pairing defenseman on a good team and the rangers are an interesting option i also think that a team like the canadians makes a lot of sense just based on looking at you know i know they made a move for nikita nesterov and unfortunately they also parted ways with Mark Barbario. I feel like Mark Barbario should be their target at this point, but it's like I, I, you watch this pairing, especially with with Weber and and Amelin, and it's just pretty clear that it's not going to work. I mean, they just don't they don't have enough foot speed on on that pairing, and they've really been getting exposed lately. And you know, you don't want to be relying too much on a guy like Andre Markov just based on how many miles he has on him, and you don't really know what to expect from a guy like Nathan Beaulieu. So I think that. The Canadians have a really good team, and now they have a really good coach, and you know their goaltending is going to be strong. I think the blue line is something they're looking to address. I know they've they basically made it pretty clear that they're trying to kind of move Greg Patteron for a guy that's kind of like Greg Patteron. I don't know what that even where that takes them, but I think that they should be instead looking at a guy like Brennan Smith as a potential fill in there. I agree that they should probably add a, a left shot defenseman. Um, I don't know that Smith would be my top target. There, there are going to be some other options out there. There might be, uh, I, I look at Philadelphia, maybe there's something to be done with, with Strider Del Zotto, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Dmitry Kulikov out of Buffalo, depending on the price. Like, there are a few different options. Yep. And, and I don't know that Brendan Smith is a guy you necessarily want to play on your Weber pairing either. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm glad you brought up Brendan Smith because it lets me tell my, my favorite story about uh, running out to get the, the annual Hockey News prospect 
report year after year, the top 100 prospects in the league, and Brendan Smith being a top 10 prospect like five years in a row. <laughs> he, he was one of those um, one of those Affina prospects who yes. never, never, like, and those guys never live up to the, the hype, do they? Like, once, if you're famous for being a good prospect, the odds are you're going to be, you know, yes. a pretty average player. Yeah, but he's also, I mean, he, to be, to be I, like, fair, he's like, fine. He's, yes, yes. Yeah, he's he's fine. He's not prolific. He's fine. Um, yeah. A guy that has been generating a lot of buzz, um, and sort of understandably so, because you know he's still only 22 years old, and he was a former first-round pick, and not even a late one. He was sort of in that middle tier. Is like it's a guy like Curtis Lazar, and I know that you're familiar with him a bit from his time playing for the Oil Kings, and you know people have been drawing drawing the lines like oh Edmonton should bring him back home and you know that that fit makes a lot of sense and I, I you know other than geo- geographical things aside I don't I don't really see it but I'm kind of curious with a guy like Curtis Lazar just because we sort of have to figure out with a guy like him it's like he's played 33 games this year and he has one assist and zero goals and he's been playing in the league for what nearly like 200 games now and he hasn't really been producing at all like he's one one of the least productive players we've had in the league over the past three years but he also is a guy who pretty clearly has at least a bit of skill and it's not that long ago that he was a top prospect and you know you you, you have all these cautionary tales that scare you off from just giving up on a guy too soon like this whether it was like a Nino Nita rider in in you in new york or whoever like there's there's a lot of examples over history but it's like with him would you be, if you were running a team, would you be willing to take a calculated risk on him, hoping that maybe a change, change of scenery or, or just something like that, or just time uh, kind of gets him to burst out of his shell? Or do you think we've seen enough at this point to just conclude that he's just never really going to reach that level that he thought he would? I agree with you that you don't want to write a guy off. Um, and and Nita Ryder is actually a really good example of sort of the best case scenario, I think, for a guy like Lazar, mm-hmm. where he kind of emerges as a, a decent middle six option who can do a lot of things for you. Um, I don't know that it's the probable outcome, but my thing with Lazar is if, if Ottawa is saying privately the things they're saying publicly, which is basically we want a real return if we're going to trade this guy, we're not going to move him as, as sort of a reclamation prospect. Yep. I, I think that rules him out. Like, we, you mentioned he has one point in 33 NHL games. He's got four points in 13 American League games this year. Like, yeah. th- This is not a guy who scores in the AHL either, admittedly over just a tiny sample. But there's nothing there that I see that, you know, he had 20 points in the NHL one year. Great. Aside from the fact that he's 22 and, and yeah. has some junior pedigree, I don't see why you'd pay a lot for him. I, I think the price would have to come down to... Maybe something like what uh, Neil Yakupov came down to this summer, where it was a conditional pick, and if he produced, the, the pick gets uh, sweetened a bit. That, that's where I'd consider it, but I, I wouldn't do it for, for a real asset um, without that kind of security. Yeah, yeah, the, an interesting parallel, and at least this guy produced in the AHL as far as I'm concerned, but a guy like Brett Connolly a few years ago, I remember that uh, the Bruins, I believe, paid like two seconds for him, and I, I thought that was a a very steep price for a guy that had the pedigree but had never really done anything. And he quickly washed out of Boston, and now he's sort of resurfaced as like a very useful third line member of the Washington Capitals team, and will probably make it uh, makes make some nice 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 money this summer as a as a free agent. But it's like I guess that would be a more realistic best case scenario because I I. I'd be blown away right now if Curtis Lazar wound up being like Nino Niederreiter like four or five years from now. Like I just, I just don't see that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, 
Connolly's a great example of why you don't pay for these guys, though. Like, yeah. when I was looking this summer at, at options for the Oilers because they needed right wings bad, Connolly was a name that I hit again and again and again just because he, he played on the Bergeron line in Boston, which is a sign, you know, that he can handle that sort of thing. And he, he did have the offense as a junior player. And he's been a very, like, he's, he's not a special player, but he's a very useful NHL guy, sort of in the same class as Brendan Smith. And, um, the thing is, he was available for basically nothing this summer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, okay, so two uh, two final things before we get out of here. One, do you think we see uh, a team trade for a goalie, uh, considering what we just heard about the fact that there was no real market for a guy like Ben Bishop? I was really, because you asked me to prepare a couple of uh, potential trades here, and I was really, really looking to make something work in net and i i just had a, a ton of trouble the, the one situation that came to mind is if calgary likes mark andre fleury and pittsburgh's public declarations are are somewhat misleading mm-hmm. then i could see something there where maybe you move johnson and something else to pittsburgh for for fleury i don't know that i'd make that trade if i was calgary though yeah um the, the guy who really intrigues me is yaroslav halak but it would have to be a bad contract for bad contract kind of thing right i i I really for Edmonton. I really like the idea of um, something like Mark Fane plus a, a pick or a sweetener of some sort to the Islanders for Halak, because I, I think the Islanders could use a, a serviceable NHL defenseman, which which Fane is, and um, the Oilers could certainly use a little bit more insurance in that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And the last thing that we need to talk about before we get out of here is. Um, do you think we see the Avalanche make any sort of big splash beyond <laughs> just moving like a guy like Jerome McGinley for like some sort of depth pick? Like, do you think we see either Landis Gog or Duchesne actually moved, or do you think this is something that stretches into the summer and we we we, we re-explore that then? I think it stretches into the summer. We don't usually see those those big landmark moves at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me sad. I mean, I'd love to see it at the trade deadline, um, and and. For Colorado, I'd love to see it be Tyson Berry instead of Matt Duchesne because I think that's in their best interest, but uh, I don't expect either of those things to happen. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I just don't see a logical fit where a team like, would, would would have the pieces to move for Matt Duchesne without like it being kind of like a lateral move. Like, you know, we've heard these rumors of if the Canadians would be interested in trading a guy like Alex Galchenyuk for him, and I just I just don't really see how that makes sense. Like, they're sort of similar players. I guess you can make the argument Duchesne might ha- be a bit better at the moment, but Galchenyuk is cheaper and younger, and I just don't really think like that all of a sudden vaults them into this other other tier as a team. So it's just like, it's, it's kind of tough to find that fit that makes sense for both teams. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it if I was Montreal if, and the price was Galchenyuk. I think maybe the best speculative fit I've seen would be to circle back to a team you mentioned earlier in Carolina. Hmm. Um, maybe something... And and this might be nuts, but maybe something built along around Noah Hannafin. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Like this, I, I I know that's a that's a little that's a little bit out there, but yeah. you know you know Colorado would be targeting somebody like Hannafin if they were going to trade Duchesne, and Duchesne would do a lot for Carolina. Wait, so who says no to a Matt Duchesne for Justin Falkswap? I think Colorado unless they've got something else lined up for Tyson Berry. Because Colorado's got both Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry on the right side. Mm-hmm. So they don't so Justin Falk is not as great a fit there, I don't think. Right. In, unless they've got a, a second trade 
but and, and I'm always leery about setting up, you know, multiple trades to make sense yes. in, in the sort of speculative <laughs> exercise. Yes. Yeah. All these domino effects need to happen to uh, to make it. You no, know, I, I think that would be an interesting thing for sure. There's a sort of a need and 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 a, and a fit there for both teams. So I don't know. It's like I want to see Matt Duchesne in a better situation, but at the same time, I can't help but think that he deserves to be in this hell just for the. Uh, because he's basically to blame for for this offside madness we have going on right now, just because that egregious no call versus the Predators a few years ago. So now that we have to suffer through all of these offside reviews, he can suffer suffer through this losing season. As far as I'm concerned, well, that's that's fair. You you, you know there there are some real crimes that uh, just can't be overlooked. <laughs> exactly, uh, Jonathan. Uh, thanks for taking the time, man. This is uh, this is gonna be the last show we're doing before the deadline. So hopefully. Uh, people listen to this before anything crazy breaks and makes us seem like idiots or at least bigger idiots than we are. And, um, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, has been a lot of fun. I, you know, a public service announcement to everyone, please make sure you double check when a, when a deal breaks on Twitter to make sure it's actually the real deal. And it's from a verified account. We had that incident with the Perguins yesterday, which, uh, I don't want to revisit. So let's uh, just don't be that guy or gal. And, and otherwise, uh, enjoy the enjoy the trade deadline festivities. And we will uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. I uh, I appreciate you putting out the the public service announcement. I'll, <laughs> I'll second that. Look for the blue check mark. You know, unless you're looking at my account, in which case, yes. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah, you're yeah, you're the fake Jonathan Willis, as far as we're concerned. <laughs> exactly. All right, man. Talk soon. Take care. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. <laughs>